Amen. Thank you, Jimmy. It's great to see you again. Actually, so it was interesting talking about emptying churches, and Jimmy used to do that in our church, and that was mainly because he never changed his shirt. Um, but it's good to see you brush up quite well these days. You've even got a check shirt, trying to relate to the younger generation, yeah? <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Um, as Jimmy said, my name's Neil Bennett. I'm, uh, I'm on the staff at a church in Cheltenham called Trinity Cheltenham, and I've uh, been there for 18 years. I've been the worship pastor there for 18 years, and just passed that on to someone else. So I've been leading worship and running the worship ministry there for 18 years. And I worked out the other day, I'd led worship 3,000 times in those 18 years. And so I think I deserve a bit of a rest, don't you? I think so. And uh, it's great to be here. And, and Dan, that was great worship. I don't know where Dan's gone, but um, well, great, great worship leader. Thank you, Dan, for leading us. And I'm married. I'm married to Susie. Susie uh, uh, comes from Northern Ireland. And I've got two daughters, Lizzie, Sarah, they're uh, 14 going on 15 and 13 going on 14, and they're, they're teenagers, and uh, you can pray for me later about that. Because anyone who's got teenagers, especially teenage daughters, it's a, it's a very challenging time. Um, but as I say, I've passed on being worshipped past someone else, and the, re- the reason being because I, I, f- I feel a real sense of call in my life now to, to develop some sort of worship training school out of my church and... Uh, to involve myself in training up and releasing and mentoring other worship leaders. So that's something that's new for me, something that uh, I'm going to be stepping out into in the next little while. So, um, And I gather you've been doing a series on worship, is that right? Called Now to Him, which, and do they know that's the book I've, writ- I've written with a guy called Simon Pont- So I'm sorry you've had to read it. I'm sorry you've had to have loads of talks, so Simon Ponsonby's contributions were really poor. <laughs> you've just done the Simon Ponsonby bits. Simon is a great friend of mine, actually, and um, he, he invited me into the writing process. And is a, is a, I don't know, have you heard him speak? Have you heard Simon speak? He's a, a great, great preacher and loves the Word of God. And, and when I started to um, write some of my, my chapters of the book, he, I went and sat in his living room and he said, Neil, I said, it's all very good. He said, but there's not enough of the book in it. Get more of the book in it. By that he meant get more of the Bible in what I'm writing. And he said, if you don't get the book in it, it's just your opinion. He said, that's not good enough. Get the book in it. So uh, I tried to get the book in it a bit. Anyway, we're talking um, about singing tonight. And I thought, um, by way of introduction, I'm going to play you. I hope I'm going to play you. Is it working, Jimmy? I thought we had cracked it. Well, if it doesn't work, that's fine. We'll... probably my computer not your system a little story of a missionary who went deep into the Amazonian rainforest and he eventually stumbled on a tribe and the tribe was called the Clo Indians and this tribe had never come into contact with other humans had never heard of Jesus Christ and they'd never sung and they didn't even have a word in their language for singing And this missionary preached the gospel. The tribe came to faith in Jesus, and when they did, they started to sing for the very first time. Their faith in Jesus triggered their songs, and eventually they were renamed as the Singing Tribe. And I think that's an amazing story. I said I've got two daughters. My eldest is Lizzie, and when you start off parenting, if you've got children, what you do is, you know... um, 
you try and be really healthy with what you give them, don't you? So you like give them juice and you give them milk and stuff. And eventually one day you say, okay, blow it, I'm going to give them a Coca-Cola. Have you been at that minute? Have you been at that moment? And so I gave um, my daughter this Coca-Cola for the first time and she sort of picked it up. She sort of drank a bit of it, and then her, her face just lit up, and she said, I found it. You could tell, she said, I found it, I found it, and she just knocking back the Coke. And it was a sort of like really exciting moment when she found something really new. I would have loved to be at this church, when they, at this, this tribe, when they, they sang for the very first time. No, we're still not there. When they discovered that they were adopted and redeemed, to praise God. And um, it's a singing thing. It's a bit funny, isn't it? Because we all sort of like, we get a little bit embarrassed about it, but actually we all love it. Have you noticed that? Have you been watching that series um, with Gareth Malone? Have you been watching that? Where he goes around the country and he forms choirs in the workplace. And, you know, these, these people who work together, and I, I don't know if they're, they're miserable or whatever they do when they, they work together, but they stay late and they sing and they will have this, this absolutely amazing time. And I used to work in the insurance industry and the thought that I would have ever sang alongside my colleagues just leaves me feeling like really sort of like nervous. But you can see these people, they sing and they love it. It builds community. They have huge smiles on their faces. And that choir, the military, the military wives choir, did you see that? How, you know, they, they came together as a community and their singing galvanized a community. And actually out of that engaged like the whole nation in their journey through their singing and it seems to me that God has given us this amazing gift of singing helps us relate to him helps him relate to each other it's almost as though it's at the very core of our being to sing and the Bible even says that God himself sings over us this is a real gift this thing called singing you know, we sing when we are in love. We sing when we need spurring on in our battles, our endeavours, our challenges. We sing when our hearts are breaking. We sing at the birth of our children, the marriage of our families, and the funerals of our loved ones. Songs help us celebrate our successes, express our intentions, and grieve our losses. They give nations their identities and accompany their achievements. Songs unite generations and people. They evoke memories of times gone by, of significant and wonderful events in history. They inspire us to dream and travel the journey of life. And even someone like Lenin knew the power of songs. Apparently he once walked out of a concert where Beethoven's Appassionata was being played, which is apparently a brilliant execution of music and emotion. And he said, he walked out and he said, the reason he walked out is was, I won't be able to finish my revolution if I listen to that. And I think he also said, I think this was him, um, but... Um, you correct me if you know, you know others. I think it was him who said, if you want to control your people, you need to control what they sing. Such is the power of song. But of course, we need to use singing, like any gift from God, we need to use it wisely. Um, you know, and not, and not, not for, we need to use it for good and not for evil. And I think one of the things I, I, I love to see is that when the church and the songs that the church sing and the church write start to have an influence in the nation... I really love that. And, you know, we need to pray for songwriters because, you know, the world is dominating the song, um, you know, the songs out there at the moment. We need to pray for more songwriters who are going to get into the, the sort of songs, get into the life of our nation. Have we got any songwriters here? Anyone who writes songs? 
We're going to pray for you. Anyone else? We, I want to pray for the songwriters in our congregation at the moment. Just why don't you stand? Dan, you stand. Sam, you stand. Anyone else is a songwriter at the moment or who would like to be a songwriter? Sorry. Brilliant. Why don't you stand up? We're going to pray for you. Sorry. Anyone else who wants to be a songwriter who's got a bit of a burden for a songwriter? Okay, you can stand up as well. And if you're just near one of these people, why don't you just lay a hand on them? And we're just going to quickly pray for them. There's someone over there as well. Any others? Don't miss out. Don't miss out. So, Lord, we pray you would come. Holy Spirit, come. Come and anoint these people. Come and anoint the, the dreams they've got in their, in their heart for writing. Bless them, Lord. I pray out of some of these people would be songs that, that not only engage with the church, but get, engage with our world. That capture the things of God, the things of the Father, and express them in a, in a way that people can relate to. Bless them, Lord. Bless them, Lord. Okay, we're going to read some scripture. You carry on praying, you're fine, as we read this. But we're going to read a, a scripture. This was a, um, some words of David when the ark was placed in the tabernacle. And this was one of the songs he wrote. And uh, I'd like us all to read that together. It's a bit old-fashioned, but it's, I think it's quite good to encourage each other and read scripture. So let's read this together. It's from 1 Chronicles 16. Okay, here we go. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvellous works amongst the people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. 
Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's great. Now we've got this working now, haven't we? And I I really want to show you this video. Is that okay? Can I sort of break in and go back to... uh, Because... We're going to talk a little bit about, a bit more about singing and worship, and sometimes it's good to get someone else's perspective on worship, and I think this guy really, really helps us understand a little bit the dynamic of worship, and uh, here we go. Have we got sound as well? But it's good. I love love doing shows in churches and stuff, and um, I do go, I I go to a church that's um, the worship is, because people have different kinds of worship and different types of music, and I go to a church that's pretty expressive. Um, do we have anybody here goes to a hand-raising church? Anybody goes to a church where people raise their hands a lot? Okay. All right, good. All right, good. Anybody here not go to a hand-raising church? All right. <laughs> I love asking that question. But uh, I don't know, is this church, Assembly of God, you got some hand raisers here? Cool, okay, yeah, that's cool. See, here's the deal. If you want to come visit a church like this or a church like my church with some hand raising going on, don't feel like you've got to get right into it if you're not used to it. Just, just take it slow, okay? And um, because there's different types of hand raises that we do. And we have different names for them. So I'm going to walk you through real quick the different hand raises that we have if you want to kind of come to a church like this. Say you're coming to church and uh, the music is rocking. You're getting into it. Just start slow. Just put your hands in your pockets. Just a little elbow flap. You're fine. Okay, ready? When you're comfortable, start slow. Start with the first one, all right? Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's the first one we have. Go to big screen. Big screen. There you go. Big screen. Okay, next one's called My Fish Was This Big. My Fish Was This Big. Let's go up. Hold my baby. Hold my baby. Mufasa, regular, whatever you want to do. Next one's called Dueling Light Bulbs. Dueling Light Bulbs. Okay, ready? Up to goalpost. You got goalpost. The old original. You got goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. Throwing a heartburn either side. <laughs> Hands back up. We're doing good. We're high now. Now the next one is it's a variation of three of the same things. It's one-handed. You got pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. There you go. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Push it out. Press it out. Press it out. Give the Lord a high five. Go for it. A lot of the women wash the windows. Wash the windows. Do a double window wash, whatever you want to do. Now, when you're comfortable with that, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. Where you go from here, you go vertical. Go vertical. Don't be getting all horizontal freaking out. There's other people. Okay, stay in your space. Don't freak out. We've seen that woman, haven't we? She's a little too free in worship. 
brings your own flag to church. Like, all right. No, no, Jesus loves you, but you're annoying. Put that away. What is that? Is that a javelin? Is that a worship javelin? Put the javelin down. No, I'm not going to. Okay, you just killed the pastor with a javelin. Put the javelin. Is that a throwing star for Jesus? Put the throwing star away. You got to be relaxed in church. We're freaking out about germs all of a sudden. Okay, we'll stop it. A lot there. of hand sanitizer in the church these days. I know you want to carry on, but it goes off in a slightly different direction that wouldn't be helpful at this stage. Okay. So what I want to talk about today is what happens when we sing. Why is this thing so powerful? First thing I want to say about singing and worship is our song worship connects us to God. Psalm 22 says this, God inhabits the praises of his people. He inhabits our singing. We know his presence when we sing to him. And um, as there's a passage in the Bible of uh, when the temple in Jerusalem was dedicated. And it's in two or three different places, once in Chronicles, a couple of times in Chronicles, once in Kings. But essentially what was happening, here's, here's the history to this, this event. It's a momentous event. The people of God, as you know the story, they'd been in captivity in Egypt. They'd been slaves in Egypt. And the thing about being in when you're, when you're any sort of slavery, it dehumanizes people. It takes away their dignity. It takes away their self-worth. The people had lost their dignity in captivity. Then they'd been led out of slavery by Moses, and they were given the law at Mount Sinai. It's always rem- important to remember the context of that, the giving of that law. They'd been dehumanized by slavery. And God was giving them a new set of instructions to help them live again, to help get their dignity again, to reprioritize their lives, to give them instructions on worship and how they related to each other. And then they entered into the land of Canaan and they established themselves as a nation called Israel. They reestablished the worship of Yahweh, the worship of God. And then under David... And Solomon, the kingdom became united. The nation became united. And one of their dreams, one of their hopes as a people, they would have this place to worship in. The temple. And Solomon had the temple built. And this event was the dedication of that temple. This was when they're going to dedicate the temple to God. It was such a historic moment. So much of what they'd planned for was going to happen. And this temple is going to be the center of their world, the center of their universe. It's where they're going to come to worship. It's where they were going to come and get life and connect with God and with each other. And they came, and it says the priest worships. And it says as the priests worship, the cloud filled the temple. As they worship, the manifest presence of God came. The manifest presence of God came in as a cloud. And this word cloud in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is called kabald. And that means not only like splendor and holiness, but it means riches 
and abundance. So God was going to come not only as holy God, but God who would provide for them. And uh, so the cloud comes, and it says, it says and the, the priests couldn't perform their service. They fell on their faces because the cloud was there. Their sung worship heralded the presence of God. And it's interesting, isn't it? I don't know if you, if you read that on in that passage. It says this. It says, um, when the cloud came, the priests fell on their faces. They couldn't perform their service. And I always thought, well, that's quite strange, isn't it? The service was what God had told them to do when they met in the temple. You know, part of the instructions that came through the law and all that followed, they said, when you come to the temple, I want you to do this. You're going to have your rituals and your sacrifices, and you're going to have to do all this stuff. That's your service. And yet when they worship and he came, he says they couldn't do it. I think, well, what's all that about? It's quite strange, isn't it? God's presence turned up. And because God, when he turns up, he turns up as sovereign God. And when he turns up as sovereign God, he calls the shots. He calls the shots. And I love it. And I, lo- I love that dynamic of worship where you set out on a journey, don't you? You set out on a journey in worship and God turns up and suddenly it's like your plans they go, to, they, go, they go to waste, and he says, no, I'm not going to do this, I'm doing this. And that's why, we need, that's why I was so excited by what Jimmy was doing in terms of the prophetic and saying, well, what is God doing now? What is God doing now? When we worship, we know his presence, and he comes as sovereign God. But he comes also as provider God. Comes as provider God. This isn't a dry, regimented thing where we, you know, it's just one way. This is an exchange. When we worship and we sing, this is an exchange. There's almost like this divine exchange going on when we worship and God provides for us and He speaks to us. He becomes our provider. And as a Psalm 63 that David wrote, and he says, This, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My self flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where is no water. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. He comes as holy God, he comes as provider God, when we sing. And there's something else I love about this dynamic of worship um, in the temple. It's like, it starts with the priest singing, and it ends up with a cloud in the room. And I love that. You know, it's, it's good for, for those of us on the stage to lead things and to kick things off. But actually what we really want is the cloud in the room. We want the presence of God amongst the people. And this thing isn't about performance. If it was about a great performance, Dan would be lost. <laughs> I'm only joking. But it's not about performance. We may kick things off, but it's about the presence of God in the room. And it's a, a thing we all share in together. God turns up and there's a divine exchange going on. It's not just about singing notes. There's a story about, um, from a friend of mine called David Rose, who's a worship leader from Canada. And we were leading to worship together in, in a conference at New Wine. And uh, um, at the end of this, the, the evening, he was, he was uh, sort of like hanging around at the end. And a couple of people, a couple of guys came up and, and talked to him. And it soon became clear that one of these guys was deaf. And this guy, 
Um, he'd been dragged along by his friend, and through a sort of combination of, of hand signals and, and communications, this, this, this deaf guy said to him, he explained, I'm deaf, he said, and I don't know Jesus, he said, but I was sitting in the congregation during the worship, and I could feel it here. He was a deaf guy who didn't know Jesus, sitting in the musical, wor- musical worship, and he felt it here. It's far more than just singing songs. There is a divine exchange going on. We are meeting face-to-face with a king, holy God, provider God. And so when, when, when we sing and when we meet like this, like we have been today, there are things that would be going on that we can only explain through the divine action of God. And here's some of the things I think we see, and I hope we see, and we should expect more to see. First thing is we see the power of idols broken. We see the power of idols broken. Worship is the call to the world to worship God. And when we call people to worship God, we're asking to transfer their affection from where it has been to where it should be on God. And sometimes that sort of transfer of affection can be quite gentle, but sometimes it can be quite dramatic. I don't know if you've, you've been in places where it seems there's something quite um, you know, intense going on during the worship. We're transferring affection from where we, we have it on our idols onto God. And um, I don't know, do you run the Alpha course here? Would you do something like an Alpha course? And I've led, led worship on, on many Alpha courses, and I'm standing there leading the songs and leading the worship, and you know, we, we, we pray, come Holy Spirit, and we ask people who want to you know, come to faith or make a decision for Christ, make a decision in the context of worship. And it's like you see their faces change before you. As affection is transferred from where it has been onto God, they're changed. Idols are broken down when we sing. And I think, um, I think we see people healed when we worship. I think we see people healed. And uh, I've seen it sometimes. I haven't seen it a lot. I want to see it more. Um, and I want to expect it more. But um, even, even uh, a testimony myself, I went to a... Um, a residential. I'm studying theology at the moment. I went. I went up to the uh, the, the week's residential, and I'd, I'd, I'd injured myself quite badly. I'd broken a rib and herniated a disc playing golf. Can you imagine? And um, I basically, I sort of got too excited with my driver over an extended period of time, and and basically, I sort of ended up cracking a rib because I overdid it. I'm 48. I must admit. So I went to this um, residential, and I had this huge pain in my leg, real burning sciatica, and, and I, was driving, I was driving up with you, actually, wasn't I, Jimmy? We were going up together. And I, I remember thinking as I went up there, you know, I, I go around saying, when we worship, God heals, and I think God was almost like saying, yes, yeah, so you need to worship this week. You need to really worship. So I was really quite convicted of this. And so I thought, right, I'm going to do that. Every time there's worship, I'm just going to worship my socks off. Every time they're going to pray, I'm going to go up for ministry in the worship. I don't care what the call is for. You know, it might be, you know, if you want to get pregnant, I'm going to be up there. I'm going to be getting prayed for because, you know, I'm saying, you know, this is what the word says and I want to go for it. And I remember on the first day I went up and I got prayer and I was like, I was standing, even just standing still, there was this burning pain in my leg. And the worship was going on and this guy came and prayed for me and he said, right, I'm going to pray for healing. And 
So he prayed for me, and then after a little while, he looked at me and he said, um, "So, is it any better?" And I said, "No, actually, it's a bit worse at the minute." And he said, "Oh yeah," he said, "That's fine. I'm going to pray." And he prayed again. He said, "How is it now?" And I said, "No, it's still worse." He said, "Oh yeah, I've seen I've seen this all the time. I pray for people, and then a few hours later, the pain just goes like that." And uh, you know, I sort of like he was quite a, an important person. I, I was sort of like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah." And inside, I was going, "Yeah, right." Um. <laughs> Got up the next morning, still excruciating pain, walked across to the, to the next meeting, and it's like the pain just went like that. And um, I'm actually, you know, I was, I was like gobsmacked, really, because, you know, I sort of understood the theory, didn't actually think it would happen, but I, th- I think God heals as we worship, as he comes, he heals. I want to see more of it. And I don't know why it sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't. It's one of the mysteries of the kingdom. We live in the now and the not yet. Sometimes we see it, but all I know is if I expect more and I go for it more, then probably I'll see more. Do you get that? Sometimes we don't know, but actually if we, if we expect more and we press into God more, we'll probably see more. You know, worship is not just singing songs. It's far more. It's far more than that. Another little story on this. Um, I've got a friend in, in the worship team at Trinity called Bob. And Bob, we call him walking bass Bob. He plays bass guitar and he always does like a walking bass line. Do you know what walk, you know, walking bass lines are like? Dum, 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 da, da, dum. He plays it every song, whatever the song is, you know, Amazing Grace. Dum, 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 dum. Any song we do, he plays walking, ba- walking bass. And uh, Bob got married to... Um, his marriage broke up and he, had, he remarried and married a lovely lady called Rita he was saved out of a, a world of drugs and rock and roll and um, as I say divorced and remarried Rita and they were desperate, desperate for children and uh, they prayed over a long period of time and wonderfully Rita got pregnant and you know, great celebrations then at about 23 weeks Rita got really, really ill and the, the medic said I'm really sorry, but if we don't deliver the baby now, you're probably going to lose your wife. And they said, we need to let you know you're, prob- you're probably going to lose your baby as well. And it was just, like, heartbreaking. And, uh, but they, they did the operation, and miraculously, this, this, this baby was alive. Olivia, they named baby Olivia, and it was, it was, uh, she was the weight of half a bag of sugar. This tiny little baby, at 20, I think it was 23 weeks. Put, put the baby in you know, the incubator and, and I, I spoke to Bob a couple of days later because um, we had a worship team prayer meeting I said Bob I said you know, we're, we're going to meet don't expect you to be there we're going to pray for you, you know, we'll pray for you you don't have to come and he said no he said I want to come and he, sa- he said this he said because I, I, I want you to pray for me but he said I also want you all to stand beside me and worship <coughs> So he came along and, and we worshipped together and streaming down his face, tears streaming down his face. And uh, because he realised there was power in worship. He realised it wasn't just singing songs. And, and miraculously, Olivia did survive and is now a... Well, I think we welcomed her home one Christmas morning. Um, little baby Olivia. As I say, I don't know why sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. But I think the more we contend for, the more we go for it, the more we'll see. That's what I believe. Is this making sense? Is this all right?
I think the other thing we'll see as we worship is that we will see people drawn into the kingdom of God. There's another story that you might be familiar with, Paul and Silas in prison. And uh, they're in prison for their faith, and as they sit in prison, they're singing songs. Now, I think Paul was quite like a sort of like go get him sort of guy, Paul, the Apostle Paul, and I'm pretty sure they weren't singing Kumbaya. Probably something, you know, it was at least Shine Jesus Shine, it was at least that, something like that they were singing. And it says this um, about about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before him, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So here Paul and Silas in prison they worship, the power of God comes, it breaks open the prison walls. And the jailer becomes a follower of Jesus. But not only the jailer, his whole family. Because they sang. Because they sang. See, worship is the call to the world to worship, sorry, mission is the call to the world to worship God. So if we want to be a missional church, if we want to reach people, if we want to see people saved, we need to be a worshipping church first. And actually, I see this happening. I see this coming together of worship and mission. I see it happening everywhere across, across the churches, across, especially in this, in this country. I've been to, uh, been to and heard stories from the festivals, you know, like of New Wine and Momentum and Soul Survivor this summer. I don't know if anyone's been to any of those um, Soul Survivor is a big youth conference that happens. Momentum is a sort of young adults conference. New Wine is um, a sort of family conference. Hundreds and thousands of people at these supposedly Christian festivals coming to faith. Coming to faith in the environment and atmosphere of worship. You know, worship and mission have been separated far too long. There is nothing that separates what we do here with what we do out there. And actually, I think, you see, I think, I think, I think, although they may not know it, everyone in the world is desperate for an authentic encounter with God. I really, really believe that. I think we're, we're, we're created to worship. And I think people are really desperate for an authentic encounter with God. So, you know, we need to be a real, passionate, worshipping church. And that is missional. You know, we don't need to sort of tone it down and... You wrap it up in some you know, fancy clothes or whatever. We just need to be passionate and we just need to go for it. You know, we, we don't, as I say, we don't see it often, but we have seen it. We've said people walk past our church, they hear the music, they come in and they give their lives to the Lord in the environment of worship because it's passionate. I hope it's really passionate. 
we want to be a missional church, we need to be a worshipping church. <laughs> and actually, we, I was just meeting some of the worship team here. I was, I, was, I was just sharing a little bit more of my heart for this. Is you know, We need to value passion over perfection, probably in all areas of church life. We need to be passionate about what we do. We may not be perfect, but let's at least be passionate. Is this okay? Do you want to see another video clip? It's sort of, it's sort of like, it sort of explains like worship and mission sort of coming together. Sort of. Although it's not Paul and Silas, I think it's Paul and Harry in this one or someone. But this sort of, this sort of explains worship and mission coming together. Someone just came up and took off with my dog. Right, yes, hold on a minute, madam. Uh, George, there's a lady here who says she's looking for uh, eternal salvation in the Lord. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said someone came up and took off with my dog. Right, scratch that, George. She's changed her mind. <laughs> dog, you say, madam. Right, what's its name? It's a she. She is called Jess. Jess. Right, so that's J E S U S. No, she's called Jess and you've just written Jesus. So I have. Still, it's a lovely word, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. He died for all our sins, you know, madam. <laughs> oh, right, sorry, madam. So you say you were in the park when you lost uh, little Jesse. Right. Would that be the park by the church, madam? No, the one by the lake. Yeah, but you can see the Church of Our Lady from there, though, can't you, madam? Can you? In that case, madam, would you have been able to hear the faithful singing from there? Something like this. Kumbaya, madam. Kumbaya. Would you have been able to hear anything like that, madam? Um, I, I suppose so. Mm. And if you had heard it, how loudly would they have been singing? Would it have been sort of... Kumbaya, kumbaya. Or more sort of... Oh, Lord, kumbaya. Hmm? All right. Well, um, look, if they had been singing from where I was, um, it would have been about as loud as, um... Kumbaya, my lord, kumbaya. Kumbaya. Kumbaya, my lord, kumbaya. Oh, lord, kumbaya. Come for the lord, Les. Could be dead. Hallelujah. There you go. Worship and mission coming together gloriously. Okay, so we experience the presence of God. We see God perform miracles. We see people drawn into the kingdom. We build community. Paul says um, that we should sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to each other. Do you know that passage in I think, yeah, Ephesians? Or, do you know that passage? And I don't know for a while, I've thought, what does that mean? Does it mean I sort of go up to someone and sing Jesus loves you or something and look into their eyes deep and meaningfully? Is that what it means? Not sure. In fact, I was a, a long time ago at university, I was a part of the, the chaplaincy there, and they, they, we, we sang a song called um, um, Jesus Stand Among Us. 
Anyone over 40 here? Do you remember the song, Jesus Stand Among Us? And it basically goes, Jesus stand among us at the, at the meeting of our lives. Be our sweet communion at the meeting of our eyes, or something like that. And um, I was in a little circle, and I liked the song, by the way. I just don't, uh, I don't like what I was going to... I'm just about to tell you what I was asked to do. So we're singing in a circle, and we sang the song, and... You know, and they said, well, we're going to sing it again. And when we get to that, the, the worship leader said, when we get to that bit about meeting you with your eyes, I want you to look up and look around at everybody. And it was just like, oh, you're kidding me. Is that what it means? Hmm, not sure. But what does it mean? And this really came home to me. What does it mean? You know, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to each other in your heart. And um, I was um, in church one evening, and a younger worship leader was leading worship. Um, great worship leader, a friend of mine called Nay Lippitt, who's now leading a church in Canada. And uh, I was on the front row, a bit sort of down here, like where Jimmy is now. And at one point during the worship, I sort of stopped, and I just listened around a bit. We were all singing the same sort of song, but it seemed like everyone was singing with a slightly different heart cry. There was obviously someone over here who was, like, really victorious, going for it. You know, and there was someone over here singing maybe more of a, a sort of lament-type thing, or there was someone over here singing more of a, a sort of love song to Jesus. All singing the same words, all singing um, roughly the same tune. And, uh, but it was like all these heart cries, it was as though it painted a bigger picture of who God is before my eyes. It was like all these different heart cries coming together, and it, it was like it urged me to sing louder. And you see, we, this is this wonderful dynamic of when we gather together is that we encourage each other in our journey with God. We build each other up. We encourage people to sing out. And that's maybe why Paul also says in Hebrews 10, he says, don't give up meeting together. Don't give up on this. You know, this isn't, as we've said, this isn't about performance. This is about a community of people coming together in the presence of God to sing the praises of God. And actually, that's why I, I, loved, I, I, lo- I love the sort of uh, sound we've got in this room because it's like you're leading, but it's not, we can still hear, hear each other singing. And that's such an important envir- um, dynamic of worship, isn't it? We need to hear each other's voices because we encourage each other. We spur each other on in our singing. Next point. Next point I want to talk about. I want to talk about how when we worship, we're compelled to live lives of radical discipleship. And I want to talk about the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And it says this in Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. And that's a very familiar passage to a lot of us, the Great Commission it's called when the disciples are sent out to change the world. But look where this came from. When they saw him, they worshipped him. The great commission, the greatest commission of all time to the disciples to change the world came out of a place of worship. Came out of a place of worship. 
I don't know about you, but so often um, in the worship, I find God speaks to me. In that environment where his presence is here and people are singing the praises, God speaks. And quite often he'll speak plans, future plans for my life, maybe for your life too, in worship. But also it's interesting in this passage as well. They worshipped him. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I find that really interesting. Here's the Great Commission, but it's sort of intermingled with worship and doubt. Isn't that strange? Isn't that strange? The Great Commission came out of a place of worship and doubt, and Do you know, worship, the place of worship isn't a place of perfection. It's a place where the doubting and the broken come together. You don't have to be perfect to worship. You don't have to be perfect. But in this place of worship and doubt, the disciples were sent out to change the world. And we know that too, don't we, in um, Isaiah, when he was in the temple in Isaiah 6, and he... You know the passage, don't you? you know, woe is me of unclean lips. And he goes, who should you send, send me? Do you know that passage, Isaiah 6? So Isaiah is in the temple and is in the place of worship. God speaks to him and he commits himself to a life of radical discipleship. He came in the place of worship. So if, we've got, if we want to be radical disciples of Jesus, actually it's a good place to start, is on our knees in worship. It's a good place to start. Is this making sense? You still awake? I'm coming into land. So, and we, what, what I want us to do tonight, actually, I, you know, I was quite impressed by what you were saying about not just um, saying things but doing things, and I think I want us to do some of this tonight. You know, because as we've seen, when we sing, we experience the presence of God, we see the power of idols broken, we see people healed, we see people drawn into the kingdom, we see community built, and we see people co- compelled to lives of radical discipleship. And, uh, you know, like, like I was saying, I don't, I don't know why sometimes people get healed, I don't know why sometimes these things happen, but I know if we contend for more, we'll see more. So will you join me, and I want us, I want us to stand, and we're going to return to a little bit of worship, but we're going to... Do you want to go, go up, Dan? Because I'd, li- I'd like us to ca- contend for some of this stuff. So why don't we stand? What, Dan, can we sing that song? What was, what was it? Be, be high and lifted up? We're just going to sing one song, and then we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and... Uh, we're going to pray for some of this stuff. So, Dan, why don't you... Um...